0: You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, greetings, my friend, and thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune into the show. And I hope that this episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Special welcome if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time. I hope that you'll enjoy it and perhaps consider checking out some other episodes as well. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you guys all rock. You're all amazing, and I always appreciate the support so very much. A big shout out to my amazing sponsors, INLPcenter.org, offering a world-class online neuro-linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. I'm honored to be able to receive my certifications from INLP Center and utilize their research and incredible training programs. And to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. If you find these podcasts helpful, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. That would be awesome. So today I'm talking with returning guest, Rob Goldstein. Rob has been a guest blogger on Surviving My Past and also joined me previously here on the podcast to talk about his life and experiences with dissociative identity disorder. Rob is an artist, blogger, and advocate and openly shares his life and experiences of living with DID and continuing to heal from a traumatic past. Previously, we discussed what it means to live well with DID, how he received his diagnosis and the events leading up to that realization. And on this episode, we're taking that discussion a step further and exploring an aspect of DID that I've not previously covered on the podcast. Rob shares his insight on if his alters agree with a diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder, how many of his alters he's actually aware of, how they communicate with him, when they switch, and also how they make him aware when they are distressed and what that actually means. We also discuss more of his experiences in using virtual reality and the unique challenges it presents for someone with DID. I know you'll find Rob's insight both informative and vulnerable, and he continues to use his voice through blogging and his art to advocate for both himself and all who live with DID. You can learn more about Rob by checking out his blog and his artwork at robertmgoldstein.com, and I'll be sure to link all that in the show notes. So let's join my chat with Rob starting right now. So, hey, Rob, welcome back to Beyond Your Past, man. It's great to talk to you again.
1: It's good to talk to you, Matt. My name is uh, Rob Goldstein, for your listeners, and uh, my blog is Art by Rob Goldstein, and uh, I am someone with DID.
0: Yeah. And, and so you had, um, like you and I had originally met when you submitted a blog post for surviving my past, uh, probably, I think it's, it's been at least a year and a half ago or so now. And you've been on the podcast here. Um, I'll link to those previous episodes and we talk about DID and your artwork and, uh, you know, the, right. some, some of your story. And so today we're going to talk more about uh, dissociative identity disorder, but we're going to dive into something that we haven't really talked about too much uh, in detail, and that is being aware of all of your alternates and the resistance that you can get, uh, you know, from some alternates versus others, depending on, you know, the situation you're going through or something you are uh, endeavoring to take on. So um, let's just kind of jump into it a little bit here. And so uh, one of the things I want to start with is um, in terms of Your alternates, um, are you aware of all the alternates that you have, or at least that you think that's okay? Right.
1: No, I'm not aware of all of them. And uh, it's really kind of interesting because uh, a week uh, week ago, I did an experiment with my therapist. Uh, I asked her to see if my alternates would respond to being called out. And um, I was a bit shocked that, in fact, she was able to call one or two out and and speak with them directly. This is not something I've ever done. And it actually left me feeling somewhat shocked because I live sort of um, um, at a nexus of denial. I forget that I have DID. I don't know if I'm a high-functioning person. My therapist seems to suggest that I am very high-functioning. Um, uh, and, and high-functioning being defined as being able to pursue interests, although I'm still not able to go to work full-time. Um, but I'm able to think about the illness. I'm able to write. I'm able to um, pursue other creative projects. And so I forget that I have DID. Uh, and uh, it's even easier to forget that you have DID if you're interacting with people on a blog I don't really bump up up against the the, um, limitations that I have with the DID until I start to set schedules, try to do things that um, might bring attention to myself because then what happens is there are protective mechanisms that kick in. If DID is a protective illness, Um, my DID is designed to protect me from physical abuse and from verbal abuse. And one of the reasons that, um, one of the protective aspects of the DID is to prevent me from ever getting attention because getting attention was dangerous when I was a kid. Um, My mother was deeply resentful of the attention I got for being a bright kid. And when I got attention for it, she beat me. The result is, is that anything that might bring attention is, is met with resistance from alternates that, that won't, that simply don't want the event to happen. So for instance, when I set this up with you, um, I found the, um, the email exchange between us gone. I had to ask you to resend the invitation because it was gone from the folder that I that I placed it in. Um, I have an interview set up with um, a local artist in San Francisco for Friday, and I have I keep I keep losing the information I need in order to make contact with this artist in order to get to his apartment and in order to accomplish the interview. And even now, for instance, I haven't been able to bring myself to learn how to use the um, recording device I purchased um, for this interview. So it's, it's a constant um, battle with myself um, and with my therapist. The, the idea is to try to get in touch with these alternates to go inside to contact the alternates to let them know that they are safe, that in fact they're not living anywhere near my mother, that my mother is long deceased, um, that no one can hurt them, but that's difficult because I'm not aware of all of them. I don't know who 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 the alters are, um, and um, I only know the main ones, the main alternates. So. Um, it's difficult. I've been in, in therapy now for 10 years, and I would have to say that I'm much better than I was than when I started. Um, but there's still there's still some work to do. And um, and I think, as I as I said to you earlier, part of my problem is that I forget, I forget that I have DAD, And it um, it causes problems. It, it's it, it makes it difficult to function. Um, uh, especially if you are achievement oriented,
0: it's interesting how the way that you express it in terms of forgetting that you have DID is so. It's very interesting because, and I'm not sure if this if this relates or not, but in my case, when I'm writing or mm-hmm. um, interacting on the blog, I sometimes forget that I am struggling with certain things, and it's it's a really I guess odds the right word, but I can't think of another word right now, like paradox or something. Where when I'm writing, I know that you know. Obviously, I know I'm a survivor. I know I, I dealt with bullying and abuse as a child and all these things. Mm-hmm. But when I'm writing about it, it feels like this safe space to where I'm not really as much affected by it as I am when I'm not writing about it. And so I, I don't know if that's similar to what to what your um, experiences are. And I guess it, it's because blogging and podcasting to me is a very safe place because, you know, I created my own blog, just, just like you created yours and you have your, your creative outlets with your photography and your artwork. And I have mine with the podcast. And sometimes even when you're in like deep conversation with somebody, whether, or, or, or you're writing this like really intense blog post or something. And then it, it's a, it, it's very, I find myself now that you mentioned it sometimes thinking of my, sometimes almost forgetting how much, of a traumatic experience was and I guess maybe in my case it's because I have come, uh, you know, quite a long way in my healing. So it doesn't affect me quite as mm-hmm. much, but you know, there are times obviously when I get triggered, you know, something comes up or, you know, somebody says something or whatever, and then I'm kind of knocked back to that old reality for a while. So I'm not sure if that, if that relates to you at all, but it really just kind of popped into my head as you were talking.
1: Well, yeah, I actually, it does relate to me. Um, uh, I, I, And when I write, for instance, if I'm writing about the DID and the trauma, I don't feel anything because I'm the person who writes. The me that writes is writing. And the me that writes is writing about stuff that happened to someone else, at least as far as that alternate is concerned, the alternate who writes. So the alternate who writes can write about very traumatic um, and not feel anything, which then leads to, I think you wrote, I think it's the word paradox. It, it's a paradoxical experience because then the work is published on the blog and people respond to the trauma. They're not responding to the writing. I'm looking at the writing and thinking, wow, that sentence is really great, um, but I'm not seeing what the sentence is about. And uh, people will respond to me by saying, my God, this is so painful. How did you survive? How lucky it was for you to survive. Jesus brought a tear to my eye. And I'm thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean that this is painful? Why aren't you seeing the beauty of that sentence, for instance? It's a paradoxical experience um, to be writing about the illness, to know that you have the illness. And to have people respond appropriately to it, and there you are, you're stuck with the fact that you can't feel the emotions that you've been able to call up in other people. So um, this is something that I'm constantly running into. And my, my normal response to these statements, gee, that's so hard or that, that seems like such a tough thing to have lived through, my my normal response to that is to say, well, thank you. Um and my goal is to make sure that we prevent other children from having this experience. We can save children who are currently being abused. We can save children now from a lifetime of of this kind of pain and confusion. And, and disability. So, um, but it, it, it does. It leads to paradoxes. I mean, one of the the questions I came up with um, for our interview today was, um, do my alternates agree with the diagnosis of DID? And the fact is, is that no, my alternates agree with the diagnosis. So I have alternates that not only resist the work that I want to do because they're afraid of getting attention. Because of things that happened years ago, but they are also resistant to actually joining with the, with the core alternates in a coherent self. And so, you know, whereas I think uh, in our last podcast, I think I I kind of closed that podcast by saying that I think of my thir- per- myself as a person who is healthy with DID. I still think of myself as a person who is healthy with DID, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the DID is not disruptive uh, or cause problems in in my day to day functioning or cause problems um, in the achievement of certain goals my, one of my goals is to figure out how to use my blog to supplement my income and 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 now i'm in the process of, of trying to organize my first book and the amount of resistance i get is just frustrating and astonishing but on top of that, you know, there, there are also the problems that arise in my relationships, in my intimate relationships with people because as I um, get better, I change. And what I find myself dealing with are people who have adapted to the person that I was. Um, if, you met me, if you had met me 10 years ago, I would more than likely have been very passive in, in, in the way I responded to certain slights or or psychological kinds of um what is the word abuse. I mean um I had an abusive mother, I had um uh, I, uh, an abusive father, um and I lived in an abusive community in the nineteen sixties in the South. Um and um so it makes perfect sense that I would have people in my life who would also be psychologically abusive toward me. Um, and so one that I find myself facing now, 10 years after starting therapy, is I'm no longer somebody who feels that it is um, my um, lot in life to be the target of other people's abuse. And I find myself having to call people out, having to confront people and say, no, you can't do that to me. This is not something I will accept. And a very good example of that is a friend of mine who constantly rewrites history so that whatever the event was, um, in her version of the event, I am the person responsible were creating the circumstance. And it was my mental illness that did it. And I had to say, you know, you revise history. Um, And when you rewrite it, you make yourself the hero. And actually, that's not accurate. That decision that you're talking about, that thing that I did, that you're describing, I did that because I wanted to do that. It had nothing to do with my mental illness. It was a reasonable decision under the circumstances. And that's actually been a hard one for people to accept. Now, sometimes they leave because what I'm dealing with is uh, what I've discovered is, is that I've, taken, I've replaced my narcissistic mother with another narcissist, which is not an uncommon thing for people who've been abused to do. And people who were uh, who were raised narcissistic parents are very prone to surrounding themselves with replacements. So what happened? What, what do you do when you get better? It's 10 years down the road and you've been in a relationship with a narcissist for 10 years who's gotten away with psychologically, essentially psychologically. Uh, well, gaslighting you is the word. Um, And suddenly you're saying, no, you can't gaslight me anymore. I won't accept that. Um, It sometimes means that you have to find new friends, healthier friends, um, healthier people to interact with. And the same thing holds true with the Internet. Um, On the Internet, it's extremely easy to fall into interactions with the same kinds of Pathologies, And in fact, the Internet is crawling with pathological narcissists who are all too happy to steal your ideas, um, uh, uh, diss you um, and talk trash about you um, to other people on various social networks. So how do you deal with that? How do you protect yourself from replicating the original circumstances of the trauma? Because that's a huge problem for people with the ID, the problem of replication. Um, it It's a stumbling block. And, um, and learning how to um, predict a stumbling block, learning how to recognize the signs before you get too invested in a relationship or too invested in a collaboration, learning how to recognize that you are now walking back into a situation that is only going to hurt you is um it, it's it's actually it's an essential goal to achieve, but it's difficult because the the goal of replication is to master the original trauma and of course, the only way to master the trauma is to learn how to say no to being traumatized it It <laughs> often feels more confusing uh, than uh than
0: not. Yeah. Everything you're saying, Rob, like I I have so many questions right now that we we could go down so many rabbit holes. And one of the things that I want to back up with just for a little bit is is the is your mentioning of the resistance and and the struggle and you know of course you know you talked about how um, when you uh, endeavor to do something such as an interview or meeting with someone about your your art and you have the resistance from from one or more of the alters to not do that and so I'm curious now and this question is probably geared more to those who are not as familiar with with DID mm-hmm. so when you when you when you talk about the resistance or the struggle it does it feel like it's 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 essentially like a tug of war kind of back and forth between them or is it literally um you know like for example one point in time you are resisting then the next point in time you're embracing and it's not so much of the tug of war maybe you can kind of break it down in case some someone's listening and not really it, familiar it, with how the idea works
1: it, it's more like in, in my case it feels more like a sabotage um and a tug of war um For instance, uh, a, a good example is like, I've got, I've got to do this interview. I've got to do this interview. I've got to get the, the equipment that I need to do the interview. I've got to learn how to use the equipment. And yet I find myself absolutely unable to do the, um, to do the, um, research. For instance, I have to research this person I'm going to interview. Well, I've got the biography in front of me. I've got the various you know, web pages in front of me, but I can't make myself read them or I can't make myself comprehend them. Um, uh, A a really good, clear example of um, resistance um, comes from the alternates that don't want to take the medication because they don't agree with the diagnosis. So I sometimes go to my medication and find that it's been hidden or thrown away. Which is a huge problem, because um, then I have to go to my doctor and say, you know, I need a new, I need a new prescription of this drug, and they're looking at me and going, well, uh, what they don't. One of the problems that I have um, in in interacting with with medical, with 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 the medical profession is their denial of DID as a legitimate illness, and so if I go to my doctor and I say my alternates throughout my medication, sometimes I'm looked at as if I'm scamming the system. And so um, it becomes a real problem um, because not only do I have to deal with my own resistance and my own denial, but I also have to deal with the resistance and denial of those around me. uh, A good example of that was... um, is uh, a, a few weeks ago, I was discussing my diagnosis with somebody I had met, um, uh, a new friend, and um, he wasn't quite good. And I said, well, you know, I went to a doctor 10 years ago. I went to a psychiatrist, a behaviorist, actually, and he diagnosed me with DID. And his response was, oh, my God. You went into this doctor's office and he told you this horrible thing about yourself and you just believed him? And I um, said, oh, you know, you're in denial for me. Um, The reason I know that the diagnosis was right is the treatment is working. If the diagnosis was wrong, the treatment wouldn't be working. Because none of the other treatments for none of the other diagnoses work. I wasn't bipolar. I wasn't borderline. None of those treatments worked. But the treatment that I've got now, the psychotherapy, that works. That's proof that the diagnosis is correct. But more interesting is that people are willing to go into denial for me. So it's not just my denial. It's actually the denial of a system that still can't quite grapple with the reality of dissociative identity disorder as a legitimate illness or a legitimate response to trauma so if we want to take it out of the category of an illness for instance and look at as a look at it as a healthy response a healthy protective response on the part of a child to being severely traumatized then um we're we're talking about uh, basically a, 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 um, a normal process, a normal psychological process in response to an extreme circumstance. But um, sometimes it feels as if I'm walking around in the proverbial hall of mirrors where, every, where everything reflects a willingness to deny and that denial then is internalized by me and my alternates and is played out in my life
0: yeah it does and so I'm curious too um, you know working through this denial and having alternates that agree with the diagnosis and those that don't and you know as you mentioned the sabotage so when we were talking about uh, you know the struggle of doing an interview or doing uh, you know um, some type of project with someone, do you find that when you're able to accomplish that task, does it create a bit of a sense of, well, I mean, I'm assuming it creates a sense of accomplishment, but does it allow you to try and kind of build on that for the next time or, or does each new event still seem like the exact same struggle as before? I mean, if you kind of but get on going I, with this.
1: Yeah, I do. Um, actually, it doesn't. Each, each, each new event is its own new event, at least at this point in my treatment. Each, and, and, you know, bear in mind that um, I was diagnosed late in life, which means that more than likely I'm going to pass from this earth with the problem. <laughs> so I'll probably die with DID. But each new event right now is its own struggle. But in order to feel, I mean, but, but, you know, it's, how do I put this? I, as a person, if I had not been um, abused as a kid, if I had not been placed in the situation of developing DID, I would have been a very achievement-oriented man um, with um, a number of talents, and um, I would probably be an accomplished artist or perhaps an accomplished writer or perhaps an accomplished doctor. There were any number of things that um, I as a whole person would be equipped to do. Um, so that drive to achieve is very much part of who I am as a whole person. And and that's, you know, again, that's another interesting um Feature of the DID. There is, um, after 10 years of therapy, this sense of who I might be as a whole person. And that's kind of new. Um, and that's enjoyable. And what I'm finding out is yeah, sure, as a whole person, as somebody who, who functions, who, who would have functioned a, a, as a single personality, I would want to be, I, I, I would have been a successful. Um, artist. So if I would have been a successful artist, then the goal is to become a successful artist, which means I have that drive. Um, And that drive bumps up against the resistance, and the resistance is equal to the drive. And so every new project is met with the same drive and the same resistance.
0: It's so interesting the way that you put that, because I think, you know, it, just talking about my own life, there are certain circumstances in, in my life. And if we're talking about being a survivor of trauma, I do feel like in my case that there are some things that can kind of create a bit of a role of um, momentum, so to speak. But other times, each situation can feel like um, its own unique struggle. And so it's, it's just interesting how how you know our uh, the way that we uh, approach different things and the way that we deal with struggles can be the same, but but it can also be different. And um, I I I think it's great that we're talking about this because I'm sure that there are a lot of people who um experience DID uh, very similar to what you do, and they're able to understand it more because of the work that you write, you know, the writing that you do, and your art and your photography and everything. Um, one of the the other questions um that I think we can uh go down a bit is when you were talking about relationships and um Mm -hmm. specifically on the internet because i you know in this day and age obviously the internet is everywhere it's in your hand it's it's all over the place and as survivors of trauma as as people who who are going through um, and living with some type of mental health struggle the the need to put up healthy boundaries and be able to tell people Mm -hmm. no you know, uh, you can't do this to me anymore, or no, don't do that, or no, I'm not going to own what you're telling me. I think that that's so key. And it, it shows tremendous growth, I think, whenever we can get to a point of being able to it, like, especially on the on the internet, right? Because you know, you, you can talk to people literally, you know, around the world in a matter of seconds. And You feel like you almost have this kind of bond in a way because you you are reaching out to somebody who's a fellow artist or a fellow photographer or a fellow blogger or a fellow insert, whatever. And you have to be careful because, you know, obviously, you know, the old, the old cliche of not everybody is who they seem, but especially when you are working through trauma and you are overcoming things that you are, that I am, that so many listeners are, it's just, it's super important for maybe for us to be able to talk a little bit more about the importance of being able to recognize those potentially toxic people or those with an agenda and be like, hey, well, you know, if something doesn't feel right or, you know, uh, approaching these these relationships with caution, especially when you've been putting in so much work, you know, on your own journey.
1: Right. Well, you know, um, I don't know if we touched on this in the previous interview, but you know, I actually became aware of the DID after I joined Second Life in 2009. I, uh, in, in the 1980s, you know, I was a writer and a performer in San Francisco. And so I had ver- a various stock of characters. On each, and, and, and when I was writing, you know, I get lost in the character. But I always attributed that to um, just the creative process. So in the 90s, you know, I stopped writing and um, started working in the field of mental health and went on to um, work in a facility in San Francisco for over a decade. And in 2009, I discovered Second Life and um, found myself sort of trapped. And I couldn't figure out how how, how it was happening. And what I really couldn't figure out was why the characters that I had been writing about in the 80s were suddenly popping up in Second Life and trying to have their own lives. Eventually, it got so bad that I was no longer able to work because I had characters going into Second Life and um, experiencing the avatars as bodies, which was just weird. (laughs) So... So when I went to the doctor and started to describe this stuff, you know, it was he watched me for six months, and that was when, after six months, he basically concluded that I in fact had DID. And and uh, the first task I had was to remove myself from Second Life. But the biggest problem that I had with Second Life was that I kept running into pathological what what I would call pathological narcissists in virtual reality just people who were not necessarily good people who were using second life to act out whatever sadistic fantasies and they may have had and it was a it was a huge problem it was a huge problem because i was able to dissociate so completely into the virtual reality that it felt as real as everyday life. And in, and in some instances it felt more real. And I had different aspects of myself going in with different degrees of vulnerability to abuse. So one of the things that I would definitely say to somebody who has DID or suspects that, that he or she has DID is avoid, um, Virtual reality until you feel very strong within yourself um, because it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous for somebody with BID. It's easy to get lost in VR. Uh, one of the reasons it, for me that it was easy to get lost in VR is that in to some extent, um, my brain, my mind is a kind of VR because my alternates my live in my brain. Um, and interact with each other in my brain and see each other in my brain. It's a very difficult thing to describe, but to some extent it's a virtual reality that was pre-existing and then was transferred into Second Life. The problem isn't that great necessarily when I'm blogging. It's not that serious, but I do have to be careful about who I let into my real life through social media and my blog, because I'm still prone to being passive about my own needs, my own wants, and my own, and the integrity of my mind. I have a tendency to want to turn myself over to people, which as you, you know, which is a huge problem for anybody, I think. The, the, the idea of turning yourself over to someone because you don't trust yourself to make the right decision, to have the right perceptions, and to um, be able to function fully as an adult. One of the insights I had recently was that for most of my life, I've pretty much functioned as a 25-year-old regardless of my age, because I never really emotionally matured past the point of being 25, and each new alternate that I created as an adult, because of various traumas that happened to us just in the course of being alive, um, each one of them starts at the age of 25. At this point in my life, I, I can feel myself becoming more mature, more adult, much better aligned to my real age. But for years and years, I thought of myself as, as a kid who really didn't understand the world and needed a grown-up to guide me around. And that left me vulnerable to people, I mean, who would essentially, um, uh, I, what can I say, If there are virtual kinds of assault, then I was being virtually assaulted by people who um, simply use the Internet to express um, whatever sadistic or um, controlling needs they have. I mean, we all know that this is a problem on the Internet. Um, It's a huge problem, I think. It was a huge problem for me because of the nature of my abuse. That I gave myself, I had found myself giving myself to people, uh, that I met through virtual reality in particular, um, in ways that replicated real life situations of psychological abuse. And, uh, getting and pulling out of that was actually one of my first tasks. Not going into second life, not identifying the avatars as body. And bodies, and not having the pseudo delusion that my alternates were separate people who had to function on their own. Does that make sense?
0: It it definitely does, and. I think if there was ever one thing on this on the entire history of the planet that could be as good as it is bad it's the internet right I mean for all of the amazing things you can do with it for as great as it is for you know putting people in connection with each other and and the sharing of knowledge and resources it's equally as as nasty and horrible and traumatic and evil that you can possibly imagine because of people who are doing exactly what you mentioned, people who are there, to, you know, with their own agenda and to to exploit people and and you know do all kinds of of, of terrible things. And when you are working through something uh, in your life, you know, like DID, like being a trauma survivor, like any kind of uh, of challenge, um, it is you have to be so unbelievably careful to not let yourself get sucked in, as you mentioned, and to not. Um, allow yourself to be taken advantage of or to give yourself to people because of the way that they initially present themselves or because of the way that you might see them at first. And I mean, I struggled with this and I still have to kind of check myself at times is not allowing myself to get too carried away or get Mm -hmm. too taken over by a, a particular interaction with somebody or a situation being able to put that boundary up if something doesn't feel right or if i'm not sure if it feels right take the time that i need to investigate it and then make my decision in my own time and you know i just i Absolutely. i hear so many stories all the time of you know people who love the internet and how much it's helped them and the people who have who who have started kind of like a survivor journey they've started doing some research reaching out to people and they've been so traumatized that they disclose themselves back right. up and you know just never it's it, it's just exactly but yeah, yeah.
1: And, and you know at this point for instance um, I'm one of the things that I'm very pleased with is that the the alternates don't go into um, VR anymore into uh, unless of course it is to create it for the specific purpose of using the avatars and the props in, um, in to make images illustrations for the stories that I write um, so being able to use that, As an approach, uh, as a as a way to make art, is a huge advantage. I mean, think about it. Anybody who wants to create illustrations and has a knack for, who has an understanding of set design and staging, can actually stage a scene in virtual reality and use the avatars as models. It's it's an amazing um, boon. The unfortunate thing, um, the downside is that so many of the people who use the game, because I think at the bottom of it all is this gaming sensibility that once dominated the Internet. And the gaming sensibility is is that this is a game and there are no rules. And if you're a sucker, that's part of the game. And I win if I get to sucker you. (laughs) It's a, it's a, it's a, it's actually you, and you see this played out in Twitter. I mean, basically, one of the big issues in the United States right now is that our internet, our social media, was used, um, in order to trick us into voting against our own interests. You know, whether you like the president or don't like the president, there is this fact that. Uh, The Russian president um, used his military to attack us via our social media. And what he did, really, not that different from what a pathological narcissist would do. Create a set of false, create a set of false, create a set of false, um, um, premises, Designed to make you behave in ways that are actually destructive to your body, your mind, and your your pocketbook. I mean, when I was using um, VR, I was conned out of a couple of thousand dollars because I wasn't being careful. And um, so, it's actually easy. It's easy to it's easy to find yourself in the position of being victimized. If you have been conditioned to expect it and to treat it as normal, then the odds are going to be um, greatly increased that you will be victimized. Because if your tendency is to normalize it, then you might even seek it out. So, I mean, ultimately, and I want to be really clear about this, I do not blame the people who victimized me. And the reason for that is that I believe that it it's my responsibility as an adult, I mean, to, to use the, an, an expression common in the South, it, it's my responsibility to know what time it is <laughs> and to know where I am. So if I'm in a game, and that, this was one of the things my, my therapist made very clear to me, if you're in a game, then um, all bets are off. If you're going to persist in entering a game and go, if you're going to go into a game, expect everybody around you to be playing. I was going in and replicating life. I was going in to in, in my various personas. I was entering virtual reality in order to have a life. But people were there to play. And that was a huge difference that I didn't pick up on and that made me a mark.
0: Yeah, I mean you mentioned about this about uh VR somewhat on, on our last chat too and um you know I think it just it, it's so everything you said is just incredible and I couldn't agree with you more on and just about everything you've said. Um and I think it's it does like when you when you enter the world of VR when you're playing a game and you mentioned mm-hmm. about how you know you're, you're you're bringing life you're doing life and everybody there or most everybody else at least, is there to try and escape what you are trying to do, almost in a way, right? right. And so I think, yeah, and so, I mean, it had to be just an incredible uh, experience almost, I mean, I mean, dare I say, almost in like a traumatic way of the, of the realization of that, right?
1: Well, it was very traumatic, and uh, but the upside was that I, I finally was forced to go to a doctor and find out what the hell was going on. And what well, mm. I think I may have mentioned—I don't know if I mentioned this in the previous podcast or not—but I, I I walked into the doctor's office, and the first thing I said was, "I have this thing going on, but it's not
0: DID." Not DID. I remember you said that. Yep.
1: That's right. It's not DID. And it took him six months uh, to 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 finally get to the conclusion that in fact it was. And then it took me another year of denial um, before I would see the therapist, who would eventually. Helped me to begin to sort through what I needed to sort through in order to start getting better, but um, it was very traumatizing. It was very traumatizing, and it made me crazy in my life. It made me crazy, and so it. Uh, but ultimately, it it is not. It was my responsibility to know where I was and what I was doing and who I was interacting with and what their intentions were. I was operating on a number of childlike assumptions. And this is, of course, one of the problems that you have with DID is that very often the alternates are young and even the adult alternates are young because there is an emotional... mm, I don't want to use the word stunting, but it seems to be the only word that, that really applies. There's an emotional stunting that comes with D. If the if the original if the original self is is three years old, then really at your core, to some extent you're functioning emotionally as a three year old. Because your 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 the original split happens so early in life, so people with DID tend to be emotionally young, and uh, coming to terms with that was also difficult. I mean, when I say that I have alternates that are resistant to um to to what I'm doing to anything that. I that might give me attention or bring attention to me. What I'm really saying is, is that I've got a bunch of kid selves who are terrified of being beaten and are doing everything they can to make sure that doesn't happen. So that's what I mean when I say resistance. That's the source of the resistance. And being compassionate toward that is really part of the process of overcoming it
0: everything you've shared today rob has been amazing and as we start to wrap this up here i appreciate just all the work that you do you know sharing here on this podcast all all the work that you do on your blog with your writing and your creative projects and Um, you know, I just, I thoroughly enjoy talking to you because I, I learn so much just from listening to you and I, and I definitely uh, consider you a friend and I'm, I'm glad that you're able to come on this show to use your voice in every outlet that you do. And I want to make sure that people know where to find your blog, your artwork, anything else you want to share. So, um, you know, let them know where to find you on social media, your website, all that good stuff.
1: Well, you know, I'm glad that we had this conversation too, Matt. I was a little worried because I felt scattered this morning. Um, but yeah, I, I think this kind of worked out okay. <laughs> so, it did, absolutely. This was one of the things I was resisting. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, my blog is com. It's Art by Rob Goldstein. And you can find it as Art by Rob Goldstein if you type it into Google and my blog is about a lot of things i i'm a writer uh, uh, as well as um uh, as a blogger i blog about the DID, and um uh, i'm always pleased to come on your show and um, share a a bit of my life and my experience with people the goal is of course to help people get better and and the goal is to help people um, and to help whatever to help people help children who are now being abused and and one of the things that i I really want to say is is that um, if we know that children are being abused it 's our job as adults to stop it um, so one of the most um, one of the most um painful aspects of 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 coming to terms with the abuse was understanding that it took place in a community of people who knew that the abuse was happening. It also took place in a community that was participating in the abuse. uh, Child abuse does not happen in isolation. It always happens with the full awareness of the community. People will say they didn't know, but really if if you get right down to it, it's very difficult to hide something as serious as an abused child. So there were people who knew and they did nothing or they participated in it. So what I would like to do um, with my story is help people who have DID today and do whatever I can to make sure that children who are now being abused don't have to live the rest of their lives recovering from it.
0: Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, INLPcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help Beyond Your Past reach as many as possible with a message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.